One of my probably most amongst my cherished childhood uh, memories was in the autumn, uh, my dad would take a side job at a local orchard and pick apples. And my brother and I got to go with him. And it was pretty awesome because not only did we get to, you know, listen to football on the radio on Saturday mornings and, and hang out with our dad, we got to make a little bit of money. We'd go around and pick up all the apples that had fallen. And if we could fill up one of these little, like, two-by-two two bins, you got a dollar for every, every bin you'd fill up, and they'd make cider with those. So uh, we got to also play and climb in the trees. And I love, I love apples to begin with, so I had my own all-you-can-eat buffet of apples at the apple orchard. But um, we would spend a significant of our, of our morning while Dad was up actually working, climbing and playing in the trees. Now, my dad, to this day, is still an expert tree climber. He just turned 60 like a month ago, and the guy can shimmy up a tree like nobody's business. So I like to think that he kind of imparted a little bit of knowledge on us, and uh, climbing trees in the apple orchard on, on those brisk fall mornings are, are a very treasured memory for me. But nothing ever significant happened to me while I was climbing up a tree. Nothing spiritual ever happened. The most that ever happened was I got to wing a few apples at my brother, and uh, we had fun. The story of Zacchaeus always kind of confused me a little bit as, as a little kid. Granted, I probably wasn't, you know, the brightest bulb of the bunch. Um, I still, I, I didn't get it. You had this guy that, that was a uh, short little guy. I, I could, you know, <laughs> I get that one story of my life. But um, couldn't see, so he runs up ahead, climbs a tree. Jesus sees him invites him to dinner, and he's saved. I just didn't make the connection for, for whatever reason, because I love climbing trees, and I never met Jesus climbing a tree. Uh, actually, currently in our, in our high school Bible study, every Thursday we've been doing these uh, bonfire, and we've been revisiting these old Sunday school stories like Zacchaeus and Jonah and the whale and uh, all these different things, and, and, and taking a fresh look at, you know, things that maybe we might have missed, like how I would have missed this, this very classic Sunday school story uh, from Scripture or uh, taking a deeper look into, into what things meant. And that's what I love about Scripture is, is every time we turn and open God's Word, His Word is just breathing and alive. And you can, you can look and, and see new different perspectives. And as we get older and different things start to happen to us and things, like it just continues to speak to us in, in these different ways. And that's, uh, that's what we're going to do today as we continue our series of how God meets people in Scripture at the trees. So, pun intended, we come on to a little story of a man named Zacchaeus. Most of us should be pretty familiar with the, the hated, cheating tax collector of, of the New Testament. Actually, if there was anyone that was involved in the vacation Bible school this past week, we had an actual tax collector there, and the kids despised him because he took their stuff. And they were hiding from him. They did not want to be associated with the tax collector because he was cheating them out of their goodies. Um, there's so much more to who the, the, the tax collectors at this time would have been. In order to understand who these tax collectors were and really who Zacchaeus was, we have to take a look at what the socioeconomical structure of Jesus' Israel would have been. Uh, there really was no middle class at the time. There was a lower class, and, you know, you were poor, and there were the wealthy. And there wasn't really much in between. You could, you know, there was maybe some differentiation in the lower classes and maybe how wealthy you were. But in order to gain wealth in Jesus' time, you got it ill-begottenly. There, there really wasn't a way to legitimately become extravagantly wealthy. So since Israel was under Roman rule, Roman, Rome being the, the large empire that they were and the expanding empire that they were, 
needed money for more roads, for bigger empires, for bigger armies in which to conquer more people, to get more land, and to do that needed more and more money. So naturally, they set up a taxation system. So with, um, with this taxation system that Rome, that Rome had built, um, they didn't tax the people themselves. You know, they, they had a, a certain set of, you know, whatever your crop was that you earned or import-export taxes, just that normal stuff that we should be familiar with today. That shouldn't be any new news. But what, what they would do is they would just kind of uh, allow kind of a, a secondary market of people to collect these taxes, and these were the chief tax collectors. And the way you became a chief tax collector was Rome would actually put it up for auction. So you could buy the right to be the chief tax collector. The people that had the money to buy the chief tax collector were the people that were willing to cheat, steal, rob from their own people. So these people were pretty much viewed as, as traitors to the Israel people. These were people that, that were getting by in the blood, sweat, and tears of their own people. And on top of that, they were working for the Roman government. They were essentially committing treason. The taxation system of the time was pretty much like a, almost a hybrid of what like a pyramid scheme would be and a protection racket. And uh, sitting at the top of this system was the chief tax collector. The reviled, hated, cheating, extorting chief tax collector. And he was all of the above and even more. And in addition to all of the the extorting and, and corruption and, and, and thieving that he was doing with his literally their own neighbors, Zacchaeus would have also had other tax collectors working under him as well. So with all the other money he could be getting, he also took a cut out of whatever other money these other tax collectors would, would, would amass. And Rome didn't really care. You know, as long as they got their money, these tax collectors could go through and take whatever they wanted off the top. So you have this, this, this just system of corruption going on with Zacchaeus sitting on the top. This man was a vile traitor who was essentially a kingpin of organized crime of Jesus' time. This was a man that lived a life of greed, of monetary gain, and of material obsessions. Bigger cars and bigger garages for bigger homes with bigger toys in it for a bigger pool in the yard with, you know, more, more, more. The more he could get into his life, the, the maybe seemingly better he felt. I don't know why, you know, power and, and, and wealth, you know, continue. It seems like the more you have, the more unhappy you are, so the more you try to collect. This would have been Zacchaeus. But at some point in his life, Zacchaeus has a felt need in his heart, and he has a change of heart. He recognizes that there is a void in his life, and this is a void that all of us have. There is a spot in our hearts, a spot in our soul, that only Jesus can fill. And no matter what we try to put into that spot, whether it's wealth or power or activities or whatever. I used to have a guy that I worked with who <laughs> tried to make football a religion. And he was, you know, say, oh man, you know, I, I treat football the way I treat religion. And it's, it's great. And I was like, dude, that's going to let you down. I mean, first off, you're a Lions fan. So I 100% guarantee that you're going to, this, this religion of yours is going to let you down. But secondly, it was just... <laughs> It was so absurd. These things that, that we try to put in that void in our lives continuously let us down time and time again, no matter how much hype or how much convincing we do to ourselves that we need these things. Uh, I think the Apple Corporation does the best at convincing us of these material things that we absolutely need. Uh, when I first heard that 
Apple was coming out with the iPhone, I like lost my mind in the, in, in the, like, the mid-2000s. I was so pumped because I had this junky plastic Blackberry that had this like trackball on it and it got stuck all the time and could really only text and could barely surf the internet and it was like the worst thing in the world because uh, I had this junky Blackberry and I heard I Apple was coming out with the iPhone. I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I have an iPod. I got all my music on there. I can't imagine being able to make phone calls and, and have pictures and, 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 and Apple just you know, did a great job of, of pumping, it up, pumping it up. But there was a problem. It wasn't available for my network. So I had to live with my junky BlackBerry for a while. Pretty soon, Apple came out with the iPhone 4. And this time, it was going to be available for my network. And I thought, yes, this is it. I can finally get this, this thing. This thing is just going to be you know, the perfect thing for me. I can just do everything. It would be so much more productive. Uh, <laughs> lie. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to be so much more organized. Lie. Um, I'm going to be so much more distracted, truth, although I didn't say that to myself. Um, everything is going to be there. This is, this is the package. This is the phone to end all phones. And so I, I re-upped on my contract. I signed a two-year contract, got the iPhone 4, and I was super stoked. And then do you know what happened like three months later? Apple released the iPhone 4S. And suddenly this thing that I had that was like the phone to end all phones, the, the, te the technology that was beyond compared to anything else in the market that was the top of the line was now basically an expensive paperweight because now the iPhone 4S had Siri. And I could talk to Siri, and Siri would talk back to me, and it was supposed to be this amazing thing, and, and, and so on and so forth. Then the 5 came out, and the 5S, and, and I don't even care anymore. But that's what material things do in our lives. We, we get so attached to these things, but eventually they just let us down. They break. They get out of date. Jesus, however, never changes. God's word never changes. And only Jesus can quench that thirst, that drive, that hunger that we have, that void that's in our life. Only Jesus can fill that. Now, Zacchaeus recognizes this because, you know, this is a man living a corrupt life of crime. And here he is hearing that, that Jesus is coming to his town and he knows he has to see Jesus. He's got to get to Jesus somehow. So he runs ahead. And he meets up with this crowd. And that's a problem because Zacchaeus, like the Sunday school song, was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. So here's Zacchaeus behind this crowd trying to get to Jesus. And just being part of the crowd wasn't enough for him. He might have been able to walk away that day and said, you know what? I was near Jesus. I got close to Jesus one time, and that's all that, you know, that, that counts, right? I mean, Jesus was there. I was there. All was well. I didn't really see him, or he didn't really see me, but it, it's, it's all good. Zacchaeus knew he needed more. The crowd was in his way. He was a short man, and he didn't let that stop him. So he ran ahead to climb a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus, I think, not only needed to see Jesus— but he needed Jesus to see him. So he climbs the sycamore tree. And it's interesting that the Bible specifically states that he climbs a sycamore tree. Uh, the sycamore tree is what he would have climbed is actually somewhat similar to the sycamore trees that we, that we have here. Uh, actually, in my neighborhood, when the city of Ann Arbor or whoever developer was building our neighborhood in the late 40s and early 50s, Someone must have gotten a fantastic deal on a lot of sycamore trees because every, in front of everyone's yard, 
of these sycamore trees going all the way down. And the way a sycamore tree grows is it grows up, but it has these big, sweeping, almost horizontal branches that come out. The one in my yard is constantly coming down and, like, almost touching, so I've got to, like, trim it back, and then, you know, it'll, it'll start growing out again. There's, there's another sycamore tree that, while I go on my run, if I were a taller man, uh, I'd have to duck because about, you know, six feet up this tree, there's almost like another tree trunk coming out and going almost completely horizontal. So the sycamore tree is, is, is significant because it would have allowed Zacchaeus not only to climb up to see Jesus, but he would have been able to climb out to see Jesus and to get into his path. And actually, that's a picture of, of, of what the sycamore tree in, um, in, around the area of Jericho would have looked like. So he would have been able to climb up and climb out to get to Jesus. Now, climbing the tree itself is, is even a, a, a huge symbol of, of what Zacchaeus was going through. Even before that, even before he climbs the tree, the act of him running ahead of the crowd. Remember, Zacchaeus was a man of great wealth and a man of great power. And men of great wealth and men of great power, distinguished men like Zacchaeus of his time, did not run. That would have been very undistinguished of him. They walked. And they walked in these long, flowing robes. He was a wealthy man that would have been dressed to the nines. He would have dressed like he, like he owned it. And uh, so him just running ahead is, is so symbolic. But then him just humbling himself and climbing that tree and climbing up to see Jesus, but climbing out to meet him as well. So Zacchaeus is up in his tree, perched over pretty much the exact spot that Jesus was going to be. And Jesus comes around the corner with this crowd in tow at this point in his, in his ministry, Jesus would have had massive crowds following him. And as Jesus comes down the path, he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And what an absolute sight that must have been. This, this man of great power and wealth and corruption hanging from this tree trying to, trying to get Jesus to notice him. And he calls him by name. Zacchaeus doesn't need to explain himself. Jesus knows who he is, not by his reputation, but because Jesus knows all of us. Jesus had to have met that situation with just over-ecstatic joy to see this man who was a criminal and a man of sin so desperately needing to get to him. So he calls him down by name. Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. Now, Zacchaeus has a very pivotal choice to make now. He has the opportunity to accept Jesus. And not only does Jesus want him to come out of the tree, but Jesus wants him to have dinner with him. Jesus is inviting himself over. This is huge. This is huge for Zacchaeus. Because this is Jesus's, this is Zacchaeus' opportunity to publicly show who it is that he is, is aligned with. This is Zacchaeus' opportunity to literally invite Jesus into his life. By bringing him back home with him, he would have publicly been telling everyone, I believe in what this man preaches, and I accept him as my Savior. The ball is now squarely in Zacchaeus' court. Now, this isn't Jesus' only encounter with another rich man. If, uh, if we flip back just a few verses, even, uh, in, in Luke 18, in the 18th verse, we see another rich young man come to inquire of Jesus and, and, and how he can get salvation. The man comes to him and says, Good teacher, how is it that I can receive eternal salvation? 
which Jesus responds, well, have you followed the, the commandments? And the guy says, I have, since, since I was a boy. Jesus says, great. Now all you've got to do is sell all of your stuff and follow me. And at that, the man leaves sad. And I've always found that interesting in, in, in the story of this encounter between this rich young man and, and, and Jesus, how the man left in sadness. Why is that? I mean, there's so many other ways he could have reacted. Obviously, hearing Jesus say, you need to sell all of your possessions, wasn't what the man was looking for. He didn't want to hear that from Jesus. But he could have responded with a question. He could have responded in anger. He could have justified himself. But instead, he walks away in grief. It's got to be a lonely feeling to know that, to know that there are things in our life that come between us and Jesus and we're not willing to do anything about it. That's got to be a sad thing to realize, that you have this hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill, but you've got all this other junk that gets in the way, and you're just not willing to do anything about it. Zacchaeus is faced with the same decision. He can allow Jesus into his life, or he can stay the same. Zacchaeus could have made excuses. You know, he might have said, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. To which Zacchaeus responds, oh, Jesus, this is awkward. Um, I didn't know that you wanted to come over. Um, The house is a mess. The maid hasn't been by. We were actually thinking about going out to eat after this. We weren't even going to prepare anything. Uh, We just completely weren't ready for you at all. Now is not a good time, Jesus. the, the works, I mean, the tax collecting, Rome is on my case about some stuff. I got to get them some money. Uh, work is busy. The kids have just got so much going on. You know, Jesus, um, maybe some other time. Some other time might be good because right now, just for me, not too good. Or maybe he could have, you know, just called it good at just seeing Jesus. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. Take, take me back to your place. And Zacchaeus responds, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to stay here, actually. Uh, seeing you has been wonderful, Jesus. And I feel great. I feel great right now. Um, I'm going to hold this moment right now close to my heart. I'll probably tell other people about it sometime in the future. You know, maybe later on he's talking with friends. He's like, hey, I saw Jesus the other day. It was, it was awesome. The friend's like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, well, what'd you do? I, he, you know, I climbed this tree and and, 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 and we talked for a minute, and it was, I was, like, really close with him. It was this, this God-high experience, and everything was going great. And it, it, was, it was pretty cool, to which they might respond, cool, so what happened next? Nothing. I just left it there. You know, he, he stayed on the road. I, I went home. All is well. Let's, let's go steal some money from some neighbors or something, whatever he's doing. Zacchaeus could have made excuses, but instead he makes a priority. He says yes to Jesus. And he brings him into his home. And he receives that salvation. He receives that grace that Jesus so freely offers us. This was as much of a statement for Zacchaeus as it was for Jesus, too, because the people, the crowd that were with him, they all knew who Zacchaeus was. This was not a good man. And yet Jesus is, is, is going to his house? What gives with that? But Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. It doesn't matter who. And Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed with, with grace and love that he says, you know what? I, 
anything that I've done wrong, I want to I make it right. If I've, if I've wronged somebody in, in the slightest way, God, I want to give that back in four times as much. Zacchaeus does this not in order to earn salvation, but he does this because of the salvation that was freely given to him, because he sought out Jesus. He was so over, overwhelmed with this love and this, this, this grace that he, he, he just had to make things right. So now today, Jesus is here in this place. Under this tree that we call the building of St. Michael Lutheran Church in Canton, Michigan, Jesus Christ is here. And he is speaking to each and every one of us. And we have an option like Zacchaeus does. We have the option to just leave Jesus here, or we have the option to take him home. We have the option to just to, to, to accept that awesome grace that is Jesus Christ and have him firmly planted in our hearts. We have the opportunity to fill that void, that void that nothing else can fill in our lives. We can leave him here, or we can take him home. It's the very essence. Jesus is, is, is summing this up when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Love is here. Faith is here. Grace is here. Salvation is here. Jesus is here today. Let's take him home. Amen.